So, we're in James. And I will tell you this. If I was honest, I would have never preached out of this part of the book. Okay? If I'm honest, I would have left at least the first verse off of this uh, text today. Uh, I don't like the whole text we're going to preach today. So this is why I personally don't like topical preaching. This is why I don't. Because if I was topical preaching, I could jump over the part that I struggle with. The part that I feel uh, the hardest when I hear them words and read them words. I can, I can have that for my personal time, but I'm not going to preach about it because this is where I struggle. And, and James starts this section of his letter by saying in verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. When I became the full-time pastor of this church, that verse kept me awake. I felt a weight that I've never felt before. Because I take the, the Bible literally, and I take it that it is God's Word. I know one day, and I've been told by other people this isn't going to happen, but I know one day that when I meet God, I am going to be accountable to the people that He put underneath me. So every time I preach His Word, I have to be careful. That is the point of that first verse of the text, and I would not want to preach this, because it does mean that one day, that I'm going to have to answer. It doesn't mean I'm not saved. I believe 100% that I'm saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But I also believe that, that I'm accountable to God, for my actions. He is going to ask me how I did. And he already knows. And if you're like me, have you ever said something really fast out of your mouth and then afterwards you thought, man, I wish my mouth would slow down and let my brain catch up. If we're honest, if we're honest, we're all like that. Sometimes our mouth works a lot faster than our brain. And, and, and James is going to talk about this in this passage. That's why this passage is something that I would rather skip over. And you've got to hold on for the whole message today. Because it's going to sound not very good at the beginning. But you've got to just listen to the whole message. See, all of us have done this. But hopefully afterwards you've asked for forgiveness because your mouth worked too fast. And hopefully if that person was a Christian, they have forgave you for your mistake. But 
But why does this happen? Here in James 3, verses 1 through 12, James is going to address this very problem by asking this question. Who can control the tongue? See, controlling the tongue is one of the tests of true religion. According to James 1, he makes a list of what true religion looks like. What following Christ really, really looks like. And James has appealed to his believing listeners to live their faith by praying for wisdom. Listening to the word and acting on it. And then he also added in James 1, 26 through 27. 27 if anyone thinks he is, a, is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that this person's religion is worthless is worthless you see religion that is pure and undefiled before god the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world we can honestly say we all stink at this we're all not perfect and and if you go back to to week one and two I told you, it's progress, not perfection. Okay. So, the tongue is so difficult to control. See, James is not accusing teachers of being wicked in verse 1. He says this, Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So if you can do this, you're perfect. And by the way, if you're perfect, you don't need Jesus. So... We, if anyone could be, we would be faultless and perfect. You see, we would be able to keep our whole body in check. That means we would have no sin in our lives. We would be sinless if we could bridle our tongue. See, the the tongue daily demonstrates for us both the sinfulness of our human behavior and our inability to reform or to save ourselves. See, you see, failures of the tongue are both frequent and public. It's even worse for some... This is why it goes back to the beginning of the verse. Public speakers speak a lot. I say lots of words. So this is why he talks and at the beginning is talking about public speaking. When you're a public speaker, you say a lot of words. You see, which also means that undeniable. We have a lot of witnesses. See, some examples are from the text Jackie read for us. 
in verse 5 when, when Isaiah met the Lord in the temple. Some of the examples of, of, of the Bible using the sin of the tongue. See, he said, Isaiah said, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I am a, from a people of unclean lips. And when the psalmist offered counsel for those who long for a good life, he said this to them in Psalms 34, 12 through 13, Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. The Bible also condemns recreational speech Such as gossip. See, in Proverbs 20.19, he says this. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. The NIV says it this way. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. And then we've got warnings in Paul's letters when he lists the vices of, of humans in Romans one twenty nine. He says this, They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, all of them things. And then he said, they are gossips. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, he says this, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And when Paul concludes his indictment of human sin in Romans 3, verses 10 through 14, he turns to the tongue. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good deed. Good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. See, the tongue is so difficult to control that anyone who can do it must have mastered himself completely. And I don't know about you. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I make mistakes. James 3, 2 concluded... I think for most of us, our mouth is our undoing. Proverbs 18, 6 through 7 says, A fool's lips walk in, into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. See, even the gifts of the tongue, even the gifts that we have from God, the gift of, of speech, can be dangerous. See, 
The persuasive tongue convince ordinary people to almost do anything. We've seen this. We see this in the world when we, we, we notice a cult that people believe and we go, how will they follow this lunatic? When we watch the, the reruns, but then they are so convincing with their mouth and what they say that people just, uh, just follow them. And then what self-control it takes to wield such a tool. See, it's a weapon. We can either bless, that, that, that we should bless others and not to seek self-gain. We shouldn't use our mouth to make us more popular, us richer. We should use it to bless others. See, and the witty tongue grants people the sweet gift of laughter, doesn't it? Humor often wounds someone. There's always a butt of the joke. There's always somebody who's being trod on when the joke is being told. See, if anyone could control the powers of persuasion and humor, they would possess singular self-mastery. They would be perfect. But we're not. So, James, what are we to do? I mean, you tell us at the beginning of James that we need to control our tongue. That we need to have control over our tongue. You see, the tongue is master over the body. James 3 through 5 James uses three analogies to illustrate the influence of the tongue. He says in James 3, 3 through 5, If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are given by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever they, the will of the pilot directs them. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest it sets ablaze by such a small fire. See, the tongue, he says, is like a horse's bit, a ship's rudder, and a fire among trees. You see, the tongue rests in the human mouth much as the bit in the horse's mouth. In both cases, a small thing moves and controls a large body. And the tongue is like a rudder of the ship. It's just a small part of the body, isn't it? Just as the rudder on a ship isn't very big. But it turns the whole ship. So the tongue has a great influence on the whole person. And the tongue is like a spark of fire, an ember in the woods. Even such a small spark can start a great problems, great problems. 
So the tongue can set fire to relationships and communities. Words destroy. Words can build up. See, bits and rudders were very common in those days. And if you've been around people who ride horses, you know how they work. The bits in the mouth. Uh, I, I know people that their daughter is in horse school now and she's a real good rider. And she can control that horse because it's got a, it's bit in its mouth and she knows how to control that horse. And, and, and rudders steer the boats. If you're sailing, you can have the biggest ship. But the rudder is going to say where you're going. See, if James was writing to us today, though, he would probably use a steering wheel in a car. Because really, a steering wheel isn't a very big part of the car, is it? But it controls where the car goes. But his point would still be the same. The tongue is the most influential part of the body. As a bit directs a horse and a rudder directs a ship, so the tongue directs human life. See, what we do follows what we say. Both our internal speech. You see, you've got to think, we speak all the time. Because unless I'm crazy, I'm not the only one who does this. We have self-talk. Every one of us. Self-talk. See, we talk all the time. And that directs us. See, one writer says that James' purpose here is not to warn against the, the hasty or impure or lying tongue, but to make the positive point that control of the tongue leads to a master control of ourselves. Just as a bit and rudder really do master the violence of the horse and of the storm, so the tongue is the key factor into controlling living. See, nothing according to you is more vital than control of the tongue. He finishes by saying this, it is not... That a person strong enough to control the tongue is therefore also strong enough for every other battle. It is rather that winning this battle is in itself a winning of all battles. See, so then, should I work harder at mastering the tongue? Is, is this the key for all self-mastery? Unfortunately for us, though, this view runs against the rest of Scripture. See, Jesus does not say, control the tongue and you control all. He says in Matthew 12, 33 through 35, your heart controls your tongue and speech. He says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. See, at first glance you go, James seems to say the person who controls the unruly tongue can surely control the other more easily tamed members of our body. But Jesus certainly agrees that control of the tongue is important when he says, for in Matthew 12, 37, for by your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. So we must distinguish the first, in the, the first part of James' illustration from the final part. You see, James' illustration seemed to have two parts. You see, the bit and the horse... The rudder and the ship. And carefully review will reveal that analogies assume a third part. An agent that exercises it will through bit, rudder and tongue. See, for a horse, the agent is the rider. He uses the bit to direct his horse. For the rudder, the pilot of the ship expresses his will... And the rudder guides the ship. And for the tongue, the will of man expresses itself in speech that guides its actions. You see, James and Jesus agrees that the heart moves the tongue. They both know the heart, the heart of the mind, moves the tongue. Therefore, we cannot simply decide by a resolution of the will to control our tongue. For the heart controls our resolutions. See, we, we will look at this part a little bit later. But for now, James is interested in the tongue and its reckless power. It's all bad news so far. He says in James 3, 5, to translate it literally, Behold, the size of a fire that sets ablaze, what size of a forest? See, that is a small fire can start a great fire that rages through the countryside. Or like what happened in Canada just recently. And we've seen the effects of what a probably small fire started We were seeing smoke for a month or more. We had the worst air quality in America in some cities than in the rest of the world because of a small flame that started a massive fire. See, if there's a careless person, because we know Smokey the Bear tells us, in the woods... And they don't completely put their fire out. An ember could blow up out of that dying fire. And it could lift up and go over to some, because we've not had much rain, some dry brush. And it would spark a fire that would destroy acres and acres and acres of brush. So a moment of carelessness. A moment of carelessness can cause terrible damage. 
See, so the tongue is like a fire. When rumors and gossip spread, as we say, like wildfire, the Bible also links gossip and fire. Proverbs 16, 27 through 28 says this, A scoundrel plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A a perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. And in Proverbs 26, 20 through 22, he says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a a quarrel dies down. As a charcoal, as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. See, the tongue influences the whole body. See, James rightly says the tongue is also a fire. Its propensity to gossip and its capacity to digest sin established it as a source of great wickedness. We can do so much harm with this mouth. Yet we could do so much good. See, the tongue stains the whole body. It sets all of life on fire. See, and is itself set on fire by Hal, according to James 3.6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by Hal. The tongue is no more evil than other members of our body. But speech is involved in almost every form of wickedness. You see, words themselves are often evil. Words we say are often evil. And then we also add wicked words, don't we, when we do wicked deeds. See, before we hit somebody, I don't know about now, but... When I was a kid, before I punched somebody in the face, I would threaten them in some form or or matter. I would be evil before I was evil. A lot of times I'd get punched back. Before somebody robs somebody, they have to plan it with words. And we exercise our words. With actions. So our tongue has a central place in this world's evil. See, our tongue is not simply involved in evil, it also has great influence in it. Its influence can corrupt the whole body, that is, the whole person. We, we can be totally corrupted by it. James says it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of life on fire. That's the problem with our mouth working quicker than our brain.
See, our plan, our tongue plans evil. Uh, and it utters hateful thoughts, is what James is saying. We say someone is selfish or lazy because we think it. See, we think it, and then we speak it out loud. And we tell somebody else, hey, that person's lazy. They don't work as hard as me. But when we say it, we start to think it even more and more and more. That's why I say, that's why confession is good to God. Because when we speak it, we realize how sinful we are. And that's why reading God's word is good. Because it implants in us how we're supposed to live. See, the, the, the means of the tongue sets the whole course of cycle of life on fire. See, throughout our changing circumstances of life, the tongue continues to create evils. When young, we whine. When we're old, we criticize. Have you noticed that? Because I have. The older I get, the more I criticize the young people. I think it's just something we innately, our sinful nature does. And when we're young, we whine mainly about, by that way, older people. See, when we fail, we excuse ourselves and blame others. Have you ever done that? It's always somebody else's fault, isn't it? You do something wrong, you do something wrong, but it's their fault that you did something wrong. And do you know how you know this? Because when you apologize, you do this. I'm sorry, but if you hadn't done By the way, if, you, if, if the word but is in an apology, stop listening because they're not apologizing. Apologies don't contain the word but. If we succeed or our children succeed, we spoil it. Do you know how? By boasting. Through every turn of life, the tongue promotes evil. This is why Jesus said this in Matthew fifteen eleven: What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. So our mouths corrupt as the tongue can create evil. See, and of course, I think all of us know, all evils ultimately come from our hearts. As Jesus also said in Matthew 15, 18. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these men make a man unclean. See, in one sense, the, e the evils of the tongue flow from our heart. But in another sense, James says, Satan himself gives a tongue its destructive power. 
See, how sets the tongue on fire, James 3, 6 says. If we wonder why the tongue generates so much trouble, James answers that. It is set on fire by how. See, now we come to a, a, a kind of condumrum because James also says nobody can tame their tongue. Okay, James, if, you, if I want to be a good Christian, according to you, in, in, in chapter 1, you tell me that I need to tame my tongue. But now you're going to tell me I can't tame my tongue because he says nobody, nobody can tame their tongue. This, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, James begins the next verse with the word for. Didn't he? He said, for, for every kind of beast. What he's actually saying, that word for should have stopped. There should have been a, a comma and then he should have went on. Because the for is, he's saying, do you know what I just told you? Since I started, the first five verses is, is I'm going to explain to you. What I just said. The tongue, through its restlessness, unstable and liable to break out at any time. It is a half-tamed beast at best. See, if you go to an aquarium, I love aquariums. I remember my granddad who passed away when I was in America right before my son born. I remember them taking me to an aquarium and I got to feed the dolphins. And, and it's just a, a, an amazing memory. And it was for my birthday. Uh, couldn't tell you what birthday, but it was before I was 10. And I still remember feeding that dolphin. But that dolphin was tamed. And you can go to an aquarium and see whales jump on command. Seals that obey commands. And then you could go to the circus. I'm not a big fan of the circus. But we can see birds. We can see horses. We can see camels. We can see elephants and even lions, tigers and bears. All perform their routine and trained behaviors. I mean, when I was doing my dog training class, they were talking about this horse that could, if you gave it two numbers, it would give you the answer. So if you said, what is 100 plus 100, it would tap its thing. And, and by the way, that horse learned to do this partly on its own. The, tr- 
because it would do it with anybody. It just didn't do it with its trainer. But people are funny. And I didn't know this before, but we all have innate things that we do. And the horse would watch for specific characteristics of the, of the, the, the face and know, because the person would know the right answer, and they would make an expression without knowing when the horse got to the right answer and it would stop. It took a few years, because this is in 18-something, for this horse to understand that them to figure out why this horse... They actually thought the horse could count for a long time. <laughs> and it was just characteristics that this horse had, had picked up on watching people. Because we can tame animals. But we can't tame our tongue. We can't force our tongue into line. See, we can notice that James puts a a touch of poetry in his answer when he says, every kind of beast can be tamed by humankind, but no one among humans can tame the tongue. See, humans can subdue every kind of animal, but it cannot subdue itself. How ironic is that? We can control all these animals. We watch, all of us watch movies. Every animal that you see in a movie, not as much today because some of them are CG, but before the technology of CG, they would be real animals playing in the movies. And they would do all the stuff and you'd think it was natural, but they were trained to do all that stuff by man. But we cannot control our tongue. And this has to make us think, if human nature cannot control the tongue, yet the tongue must be tamed, who then, who then will tame the tongue? Augustine explains that James says, he does not say, does not say no one can tame the tongue, but no man So that when it is tamed, we admit that it was done by the mercy of God, the assistance of God, and the grace of God. See, this clarifies James' whole theory of our tongue. James says two things. The tongue has a vast influence on our body, so we ought to control it. Yet no, no human can tame the tongue. So there's a paradox here. James says we must do something that we cannot do. There are two ways we can approach this problem. Firstly, we could soften James's message. We could say that he means it is almost... Impossible to tame the tongue. I just completely lost my spot. We could soften James's message. We could say he means almost, but he says almost impossible to tame the tongue. Therefore, we must redouble our efforts. We must try harder. 
No one can try harder to tame their tongue. You see, this view says, since the tongue is the key to a holy living, we must spend every effort to control it. For if we do, we will control all of our body. James' illustration seems to support this view. Just as a bit turns a large horse, or just as a rudder turns a large ship, so the tongue, so the tongue controls the lives of man. See, one writer compares the tongue to a master switch. He says this, The words that the tongue forms control our thoughts and our plans. If the tongue were well under control, so that it refused to formulate words of self-pity or thoughts of anger, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. And rudders are certainly important. You know, during World War II, the mightiest German battleship, the Bismarck, sank because its rudders failed. German launched the Bismarck to attack Allied shipping. When the British Navy intercepted it, the Bismarck sank the hood, the pride of the British Navy, in less than 10 minutes. So the British put everything into a counterattack while the Bismarck lightly damaged steam to harbour. But one teeny plane, one teeny plane dropped a torpedo that struck and caused irreparable damage to the Bismarck's rudder. And guess what? Guess what the Bismarck did? Circles. Until all the Allied forces surrounded it and sank it. Because the rudder was broken. See, metaphorical rudders are are important too. They're crucial. Our tongue is a metaphorical rudder. See, a a misdirected chief officer can wreak havoc upon, upon a corporation. A heedless pastor can de- disseminate a church. He can destroy the church because of the words they speak. You see it happen all the time, by the way. See, the first view says it is very difficult, but we can and must control the, the tongue, for it is the rudder of human life. But then there's a second view. It interpretates germs rather literally. It says it would be good to tame the tongue. But James says we cannot, therefore we must turn elsewhere for help. No one has sufficient self-control to govern his tongue. We all stumble in many ways. No one, no mere human can tame the tongue. See, our inconsistency of our tongue, but we have consistency of our God. See, the tongue is hopelessly inconsistent. It blesses God one minute. Have you ever done this? Bless God one minute and curse somebody the next? I'm the only one. I think everybody's done it. So, you see... This is what James 
3, 9 through 12 says. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You know what's funny about that? It's been going on for a long time because James wrote about it. So it's not a new, new problem we have. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, springs are consistent. If you go to a spring, they pour out the same clear water every single day. And nearly at the same temperature. Isn't that amazing? I think God is amazing. I just do. When I, but these, these are the little things that light me up. That, that God could make water come out the ground at the same temperature, 356 days a year. And at the same time, usually. At least spring, some of them, they erupt and come up at the same time. That excites me. That my God is so great that he can do that. See, they, they, they do. And you see, olive trees keep putting out olives. Yet our tongues are like a spring that changes between salty and clear water. Or like a tree that bears apples one day and bananas the next. James says in verse 10, My brothers, this should not be. But notice that James rebukes our inconsistency. Even though he knows no one can consistently control the tongue, he rebukes us because the duty of watching our words remains. We're supposed to watch what we say. Can we control it? No. But we're supposed to watch for it. Since a small statement can cause great harm, we must guard our speech. We must strive to bless God and mankind with our tongues. But there's a problem. We must, yet we cannot. No human can tame the tongue. We must admit that James does not solve this riddle in this passage. For the moment, he leaves us intention, which he will reveal later in chapter 4, in a few more weeks. In this, though, James follows the pattern of Jesus, who also willing to let his teachers dangle with his, his teachings dangle without the kind of resolution we all like. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven twenty six through twenty seven, he he finishes it with this. He ends with this fret. Those who build on a foundation other than Christ will see their houses fall. With a great crash. Ba-boom. Over. Bye. See you later. That's how he ends it. No explanation. No reason. He just ends it. And James does the same thing there here. But in James 4.10, James resolves his riddle. When he promises that God will exalt all who humble themselves before him. This is... We, if we humble admit, humbly admit our ability, 
He will graciously forgive us. See, even before we reach that moment, other scriptures teach us this about inability. We cannot control the tongue, but God will and can. Even with the Spirit's help, the taming is only partial though. Yet it is real and more potent than our efforts of self-mastery. We're never going to get this on our own. We're not going to get this by hard work. You see, once we realize that God can control what we cannot, what does that mean? We have to submit it to Him. We have to give it to Him. That's what we have a problem with. We then can face, we, we can properly face the failures of our speech that reflects the failures of our heart. For example, the proud use their tongue to deny sin and a need for God's redemption. You've heard people say, they can, they can be doing whatever they want and they'll say, I'm not sinning. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not hurting anybody. See, but there is a better way. Firstly, we must let our hearts and our tongues admit that God is holy and that we should aspire to his holiness. Secondly, since God is not satisfied by more mere aspirations, we should ask God to forgive our failings and our meager achievements. You see, thirdly, we must believe in him and receive the loving mercy of God. He loves us as a father loves his children. Even with all of our flaws. See, God loves us as a husband loves his wife. Flaws and all. A good husband... A loving husband loves his wife even as the beauty of youth fades. They didn't just fall in love with a, a, a beautiful figure. They, lo- they fell in love with the person inside. His wife may lament that her skin is getting loose. I'm getting some sensations. I'm getting some dark circles. I'm getting a little blotchy. But a good husband says, I don't love your skin. I love you. You see, physical beauty is attractive. There's no doubt that at first everybody was attracted to somebody. But a beloved wife does not fear the fading of beauty because she knows her beauty is not the final cause of her husband's love. Since God's love is pure, than that of any husband. We should hope in him. His love also gives us direction for our relationships. See, Jesus said in John 13, 35, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, good works and holiness please God. They don't, I'm not telling you they don't please God. We should attain for good works and holiness because they please God. Even as if you've got a beautiful, excellent wife at home. 
that does the wifely things as you do the husbandly things, or vice versa. You appreciate that, flaws and all. See, but God, as a faithful husband, loves his bride, flaws and all. And he remembers this. Our moral achievements, we need to remember this. Our moral achievements count for nothing. They're not going to save you. They neither earn God's love nor guarantee it. There's a lot of people that have done good works that are going to be surprised that they're not in heaven. Because they didn't trust in Jesus. They trusted in their good works. That that they could earn God's favor. See, he loves us for his own reasons. Not for our own merits. Yet if we love the Lord, we do aspire to his holiness. As Moses prepared Israel to enter Canaan, he said it this way. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 11. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, King of Egypt. Now therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Keeping his covenant to the love. To love to the thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore... Take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. We will all stumble. And we will all utter words we quickly wish we hadn't. We need to ask for forgiveness. And after you've asked forgiveness, I'm going to tell you this. You move on. You move on. If that person chooses not to forgive you, it isn't your problem. They're going to have to answer to God why they would not forgive you. We all make mistakes. We are all guilty. We all deserve hell. We are covered by the same grace. We need to learn to show it the way it was shown to us. And I pity, I pity the people that cannot forgive. I actually pity them. And I struggled with this when I was early in my Christianity with, with forgiveness. But I realized that I'm a broken human being. And I have hurt God in many ways. And if he can forgive me, I can forgive anyone. And if they choose not to accept my forgiveness, I can't help them. If, 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 if you reject somebody's forgiveness, that's on you. 
But we are supposed to reflect the image of God. And this is one of the most important things that we should do. Is yes, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to stumble in this area. James says we can't do this. And the problem is we keep picking up our sinful nature. So we keep continuing to do the same things over and over again. But we should strive to please God whom loves us and we say we love. We do this even in our failures. Because our failures do not jeopardize the love that we have with God. When we fail, we have to petition to God for the grace to renew and purify us as we appropriate His grace. See, we can live without fear. That is a beautiful thing. To live without fear, knowing God will not disown His children for their failures. Unlike people who all hold grudges, God does not hold any grudges. He loves you even when you fail. See, in our failure, we have to remain confident that believing God, He has given us life by His gospel. The gospel word implanted in us, as James says in verse chapter 121, that saves us. Our tongue may be inconsistent, but our status is not. Our performance does not affect God's love for us. By faith, God delivered us, in principle, from bondage to a misguided tongue. See, our speech only... Fitfully adorns our profession of faith. We are not totally new. Remember that. We are being made new. We are not finished yet. By God's grace, let us use our tongues to bless the Lord and to bless others whom He made in His image. Remember, progress, not perfection. That's what we're aiming for. Progress, not perfection. Because you're never going to get perfect. Not this side of heaven. So, I'm not preaching next week, so you've got two weeks to read this scripture. James 3, 13 through 18. Get ready for there's two kinds of wisdom. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today. I thank you for being an awesome God that loves us. That loves us no matter what. You chose to love us. Knowing that we're not perfect. Knowing that we're going to make mistakes. But help us to bring them mistakes to you. Ask for the forgiveness that's already been offered to us. And to live for you. And not against you. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.